0: Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery.
1: Hi, it's Dave Bedini from the Rio Statics. I forget already what I'm supposed to say. (laughs) This is the music. Welcome to the music. Welcome to the music. Hey, it's Dave Bedini from the Rio Statics. Welcome to the music. Perfect. We'll keep them both in. Welcome.
2: Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
0: Thanks for coming in. I really thank appreciate. You for it. Thanks. Me. I know. I know you're very, very busy. No, yeah, no problem. You for know. Sure. So, uh, so I appreciate the time. Um, I decided to just do all
1: podcasts about a month ago. I was like, because I, like, I couldn't, could never, like, it's hard. To, it was hard to fit them in. I was just like, I'm just going to do every podcast. All of them. so, yeah. Start. Everyone who's asked me to do one, I'm just going to say yes. So.
0: Well, thank you. Yes.
1: Well, thanks for joining us. I haven't done it, done much yet. But okay. You may live to regret it. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or you may
1: live to yeah, regret it. Pers- yeah, goes both ways.
0: <laughs> Were you getting, like, a lot of people are calling you up or
1: something? Yeah, I have been asked a lot. Yeah. And,
2: um, I'm not surprised with all the things you're involved with. Yeah. And, just, yeah. 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 So I would, I would often make excuses, <laughs> like, honestly. Like, slow
0: down. <laughs> stop doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. no. um, listen, I wanted to... To chat with you about uh, Neil Peart and the passing of Neil Peart and, uh-huh. and, and Rush. And um, I never know who knows who. Yeah. Um, but I assume people are familiar with each other in the music space. Um, but you had a, if we could call it a, a, a essay, just a lovely Twitter essay that, that you wrote the other yeah, day. Yeah, was
2: beautiful.
0: I think on Thursday. Um, yeah. When we all found out uh, what had happened. Um what did what did he what did what, what did he mean to you? What does Rush mean to you?
1: Uh, Rush, my favorite band growing up as a kid, you know, as a, teen- a young teenager. Um, before I really, you know, just the albums you bought at Kresge, you know, the songs you heard on Q F Q It was Rush, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so before I kind of got into, you know, new music, I guess. Anyways, um, yeah, and they were, uh, you know, they're band from t- Toronto, Willowdale, that made it in Toronto, you know, and uh, they were uniquely themselves. Um, you know, when I was a kid, my parents drove me around Varsity Stadium to listen to the concert, you know? Wouldn't let me go yeah, to the that's concert. What that was. But they I would, was wondering, because yeah. you said listen
0: to us. Okay, is he in the car listening to a cassette? It yeah, no, to listening to off, the somewhere. music
1: being played act- in the arena yeah, wow. on the outside. So, love them, and then... Um, yeah, when then and then Neil showed up like on on tours wearing uh, one of our shirts, um, our Melville shirt that we made after our second record, and that was like kind of mind blowing, you know. And um, but uh, yeah, I interviewed him for SoCAN Magazine and asked him what bands he was listening to, and he said Rheostatics, Have you heard of them? And um, did that my you know, mind was blown. Yeah, completely. <laughs> that
2: was one of my favorite parts of your Twitter essay yeah, the other day. Just like ridiculous. I got goosebumps hearing that. Uh,
1: yeah. So um, when we went to make Whale Music, our third record, we asked if he'd come and play, and he ended up playing on four songs. And um, and then just kind of became friends after that. Acquaintances, really, because they were always often on tour and stuff. But when uh, we'd get together, it was always a good time. And he had such an interesting mind and could kind of like take any subject and break it down and make it interesting in terms of his approach to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, analytical mind, and in some cases... And a little political minds can be a little bit, you know, um, uh, a little bit dry, maybe dry, a little <laughs> bit and a little. But he was his mind really danced and he was able to um, speak about uh, the world in a very kind of bent, kind of poetic way. And uh, yeah, he's an amazing human being.
0: Yeah. You guys had a disagreement, though, about Ringo Starr as, yeah. as, a, as whether he was a good drummer or not.
1: Yeah, there were three bands that, that he said could have been better bands if they'd had better drummers.
0: <laughs> what were the three? Uh,
1: the Beatles, yeah. uh, Queen, and Talking Heads were the three bands. It, queen, and wow. I was like, they like, weren't. Wow. They weren't good enough, <laughs> Neil. It's like
0: they could have been better, Jeez. but uh,
1: yeah, you know, he was uh he was in a class all his own, or yeah, rarefied sure. class of musicians, and drumming really meant a lot to him, and it was important to him, and. It's critical. He's a critical thinker, right, in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. How would you, like, his his drumming is very unique. I mean, even if you if, if somebody didn't know him or his, his music, if you just said, okay, play them any Rush song, say, this is Rush, and then play them any other song by Rush, you could identify it uh, a variety of ways, whether it's, you know, Geddy Lee's voice, mm-hmm. um, the, the lyrics a lot yeah. of the time. But the drumming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know he didn't just keep time you he, he was more than that
1: he was the lead instrument of yep. that band and yeah there very few few cases where the drums are the lead instrument but he was right yeah he was a better lead he was a better soloist really than the other two guys were uh-huh. but you just you know it's a combination though it's stew right and you mentioned you know the lyrics and getty's voice and the role that alex played those muscular reno you know, riffs that he's famous for uh, there's a lot of power in that in that one unit. Mm-hmm. But um, the way he struck a drum was unlike the way it most struck a drum. Yeah. Right? Just the sound. Of, that's the magic of art, right? Why can he hit a tom that way and it sound that way where you and I hit it with the same velocity, same attack, it sounds differently? It's because, you know... Our human personality is reflected in the kind of art we
0: make, and the timing,
2: right? the timing. Of, well, and I, I think, yeah, I think that to me, the drums told a story, like you said, in terms of lead. Like, like you could listen to a Rush song, and the drums yeah. were telling a story as much as the lyrics. And it's, it's true, you know, funny that he did both. Well, most yeah. of the
1: lyrics, right? Mm-hmm, for sure, but, he was. That's right. He was. He was a storytelling instrumentalist. I guess in a lot of ways, yeah. for sure.
0: Tell me about that time you had the opportunity to. Uh, to induct them, it, was it the Canadian songwriting? I
1: guess that's right. Canadian songwriters, Canadian songwriting Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame oh my, something yeah.
0: like that. Yeah. Um, how was that for you?
1: It was just nice to like tell my story and uh, to them, you know, when they were all sort of present, you know, telling my story of, you know, my fandom really. Yeah. Um, and I knew them all before then. Although it's funny because. I've met them all in different capacities at different times. Mm -hmm. I've come to them and I have different relationships with all three of those guys, but they're very, to other musicians and to other artists, they've always been very open and very generous and really, really supportive. And um, so on paper, it might seem like kind of unlikely or or difficult, um, you know, beginnings of those kind of relationships, but they're, you know, they're music fans and they love, they love music and they love, Art and they love artists and stuff too, and they're they're very um, you know uh, generous that way. And
0: stuff. Yeah. Now their music was unique sounding, but I, I don't think it's unique is, is it explains it all or describes it properly. It was it, like very different, very unique, very like it wasn't pop rock, right? But they, they call them progressive rock or something yeah. like that. But it astounds me that how popular they were. How many albums they sold? How many platinum albums they sold? I think they were the third. What was it? What was the, the fifth?
2: The fifth biggest consecutive gold and platinum selling artists, like of uh, consecutive releases. Yeah. Of all time, like it just
0: what? Like I'm, I'm trying to understand the the fandom that they. Well, if that you they just, had.
1: if you just, if you are, if you are good at expressing who you are, if you um, you know, can get around, you know, uh. What it takes to like truly express like your yourself in mm-hmm. your art, and not worry about what other people think, and um, you know get over the the terror that comes with you know those public declarations of self in mm-hmm. in art. You you'll win your fans, hmm. and many people think it's the opposite way around. Uh, you know, people think that you have to sound like something else, or you have to sound like what's popular. But no. In in true art, what what guides us towards great art is people who have the courage to uh, and in the ability, obviously, to express who yeah. they are in their work. And that was Rush.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Singular artistry is what we're looking for. Hmm. You know, people think that we're looking for just another sandwich, but we're not. We're actually looking for a sandwich that we've never tasted before.
2: Interesting. <laughs> you know? And and yeah, to that to that point, it's not just music. You know I mean? It's visual art. It's, like you said, it's a sandwich. It's, it's, a, it's a meal. Everything. It's, it's everything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. On the last tour that they had, um, R40, I think it was called. Um, that was my first time seeing Rush. Um, you know, the uh, great music. I was never a concert goer until like a few years ago. Um, and so they were coming through and I go, okay, got to go. Because there, there was this talk that it was Neil's last tour. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, just blessed to be there. It was just amazing, just to just to be in that in the, in the stadium, uh, listening to them as, as a as a as a trio. Um, what did it mean? Like, what did Rush? I, I keep on saying did, but what does right? Because I mean, their music is still out there. We're still enjoying them. But what does Rush mean to Canadian bands? How what? Who did huh. they influence? Where, who can we look at these days and say, yeah, those guys, you know. They were obvious you could hear sort of some influences there
1: it's not even necessarily apparent it doesn't come apparent in a sound i don't think necessarily. Hmm. I think it probably just it may be in an approach or an aesthetic you know an attitude an open mindedness perhaps yeah. fearlessness you know can be represented in a lot of different ways it's not just sonically, yeah you know mm-hmm. ideologically perhaps there's some um, there's some sort of impact that you find.
2: I think I think too, and like when we talked with Steve last week, Steve, more, Steve from here, Davis, we had him in last week because okay. he just released his new album, Orf as Orphan George, and we were talking about jazz and you know going from the f- Americana folky sound to then playing jazz, and he said it just opened himself up, and I think that's what listening to Rush and as musicians trying to play Rush does to your own music. It's it's like trying to learn jazz, in, in my opinion. I don't know.
1: Perhaps, yeah. yeah. You know, it's a personal thing yeah. too, right? You know, yeah. You, some people expect uh, a musician to only kind of like the music that they themselves play, but that's not the case. You yeah. know, yeah. You're listening to all kinds of stuff all yeah. the time, and you're taking from here and there. You know, and it, again, it, you just take a. You can draw from one's spirit or one's you know a, approach rather than notes. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, He was a very introverted individual. It seemed he sort of did his did his things his own way. Um, Was he? Do you feel you know? You obviously had some sort of relationship with him as as a a colleague in in the music in the music industry. Um, Obviously, played on on, on one of the band's uh, albums. Um, Was was he as an individual? Do you feel he was misunderstood or characterized wrongly? By his aloofness, maybe.
1: No, I don't think so. I, I don't think he was really. I would never car- characterize him as aloof. Mm-hmm. He was just a private. He was a private dude. Doesn't necessarily mean he was aloof or yeah. even introverted for that matter. Um, I never found him particularly introverted. I found him social and easy to hang out with, and mm-hmm. funny, and yeah, full of words. And and um, yeah, that's probably just like people just you know gleaned that from. Sort of brooding presence, but remember, you know, like he—he—I he, um, think that uh, aloofness was maybe mistaken for like just dedication and concentration. Like what he had to do was really like he just—he could only focus on doing that. Yeah, He couldn't really be anything else because it was such hard work and so hard to do what he did. He so. said,
0: "I—I I heard something. I may it may have been on CBC or 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 Indie eighty eight where." when when he said he was going to retire was like, you know, play the way he played the drums was like an athlete. Yeah. And he said, All athletes retire. Right. Um, and he said it was just he's just his body was breaking down. Yeah, it's probably um, true. Yeah. And and so he, he he retired it. And so I'm curious, Dave, you know, when you heard on Thursday or whenever you heard uh, that that he had passed, um, what were some of the first thoughts and memories that flashed to for you?
1: I got to, I flew down to Los Angeles to um, interview him for the Last Rush documentary, Time Stand Still, and uh, spent the day with him. So I thought about that, you know, and this that was, pre-di- was pre-diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I just thought about hanging out with him and what a good guy he was, and yeah. Um, yeah, how he was going to deal with his life after Rush seemed really happy and content and free yeah. mm-hmm. in a way, um, and so yeah, left on a left on a good note. The Blue Jays were playing that night. It was Game Six of the uh, 2015 2016 Championship Series against Kansas City. Yep. Me and Getty's brother Alan and uh, Dale Heslip, we um, watched the. Uh, we watched the last half of that game in the uh, bar at LAX, and when Jose Bautista tied it up with a two-run homer in the eighth inning, we were like, you know, we just marched around the bar. We were so <laughs> excited because the Jays were coming back, but they couldn't get Dalton Pompey in from first base, so they ended up losing the game. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was my day. And uh, so I thought a lot about that.
0: Yeah, yeah very vivid, vivid memories for you there. Sure. Listen, thank you so much for uh – chatting us, uh, chatting about Neil Peart with us. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate that. Let's talk about you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, for, my, my, Here's my first question. Um, who's in charge of your Wikipedia page?
1: Uh, nobody. Nobody. Wikipedia
0: page? It is so outdated.
1: <laughs> is it outdated? Like it
0: stops when the radio statics break up. Oh, okay. And it's like there's no more life for, for Dave right. anymore. I'm like, no, there's more. There's obviously more. There's like...
1: I guess I should 13 get in there years to fix old it. yeah <laughs> yeah, that's good, good to know yeah, yeah, okay, good.
0: You just made this guy's life in terms of research yeah. so much harder <laughs> um, but i want i I wanted to so I was intu- I, I had always heard of the radio Statics. um obviously you know claire was 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 your 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 massive hit um that I had heard. Um, and Greg always teases me. I'm, you know, the CFTR guy that listened to yeah. CFTR back when it was music or sure. or Chum FM, and you know, he starts judging me on on the type of music I used to listen to all the time. But I wanted to ask you this about what I heard. What's your relate the band's relationship with Claire and sort of my my understanding was you heard it, it became successful, and it was like, yeah, yeah, we can't do that anymore. It, this is what I heard. Tell me, you sort of uh, no, the radio static side of the story. That's not really the Claire. case.
1: That was uh, that was a commission. There's sort of a commission song in a way because okay. we had to write the soundtrack for um, the Paul Corrington film Whale Music, which was based on his novel Whale Music. Yeah, and in the novel Whale Music, there's a character named Claire, and she breaks into a mansion on the West Coast, and uh, hiding in that mansion is uh, Desmond Howell, who's a, a rock star who's gone insane who is just withdrawn from society. So when they went to make the film, they asked us to do the music, and we had to pre-record all of the music because they had the film, film to music, so they had to film scenes where the musicians were actually playing the songs that we had written. So we had to study the novel, take the lyrics out of the novel, and write kind of a... it, the, the song Claire in the novel he has a moment of lucidity the character Desmond Howell and he's able to write a pop he's been writing music for Wales up until this point Okay, so he has to, he writes he writes this glorious pop song that sort of springs from his imagination so we had to write that we had to pretend think about how, what that song would sound like and so that's what we did so we crafted a pop song not really really with the intention of it you know being used in the film it wasn't really necessary, even necessarily even for us in terms of our repertoire yeah we were yeah. like let's write a really, really conventional yeah. pop song and we did and it became a popular song so um but we never really kind of did it's not like we didn't want to write a song like that mm. again we we had, we had written pop songs before and after mm-hmm. but um we just have been very eclectic and um you know uh, and we are like our our interests and our curiosities move in a lot of different places not just kind of an, an, a monoculturally musical, sure. like not just kind of one thing. So, but we never really we were proud of that song. Still are,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So how? So what was it like? I want to talk about some of your other writing, like even the new album and what it was like yep. for that process. But like, what was it like to s- sort of step back and write as if your writing's somebody else's song? I it mean, that that to me for Claire is one of the things that's always intrigued me.
1: It's pretty. It was pretty liberating in a yeah. weird way, because you're sort of writing under disguise. Because you're writing again as if it was kind of came out of the mind of of a yes. well a fictional character. Yeah. So there's nothing even nothing more liberating than that. So um, it was fun to pretend, right? Yeah. And I think we sort we pretended to be a pop band for those moments, and and um, also like um, being being assigned a task in music is. Um, and be liberating too, because you don't have to generate it entirely from your imagination. You have sort of starting points. You have a set of rules, and yeah, and we had a lyric and we had an idea. So that was that made it easier as opposed to have it to create everything internally, right, from your own imagination. Mm-hmm. So we could borrow from others and stuff.
2: And you you were asked to do the soundtrack for the album because yep. of the previous album, the previous album, but one of your previous albums,
1: which we named which, after Paul's book, which was named exactly. after exactly. Yeah.
2: So how much like? Did you draw upon that, or was this like a net new project for you guys? Yeah, the or? album
1: Whale Music, which is our third record, yeah. we call, we called it Whale Music at a very late date. We didn't have a name for the record, mm. and we had a lot of um, aquatic themes on that on that album. Mm-hmm. So, and I loved the book, I loved the novel a lot, mm-hmm. and so we decided to name. It. We also like Canadian music at that time was really sort of um, treated with disregard by um, sort of uh, by a certain Artistic sort of sphere or community within Canada it was looked down upon a little bit, so we wanted kind of to ele- we wanted to elevate it to the status of literature, the same way literature was ah. was viewed by by the artistic community. So we named it after a novel, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where um, where that idea came from.
0: Did you guys start out as an R&B and funk band? Sort of. Yeah. yeah Tobico funk, white funk. So Is called?
1: No, I don't, I'm just calling it that now. <laughs> oh, that was a
0: <laughs>
1: We actually started out as a new wave band in 1980. It was our first show at The Edge. And then we had a three-piece horn section join us around 1983, I guess. Yeah? Yeah.
0: How, long was, how long was that incarnation? Through,
1: a couple of years. Okay. Maybe two or three uh, years, maybe. Yeah. Two years, possibly. They all had to get real, you know, straight gigs, right? They couldn't. <laughs> Keep doing that with us, and it was a lot because that we would have been a six-piece band. That's a lot when you're when you're young, starting out. It's a lot to sure. accommodate, right? So, um, yeah.
0: When did when did this? Um, how do you describe the rheostatic sound?
1: How do I describe it? Yeah,
0: how would you describe your sound?
1: Um, you know, it's eclectic and and interesting and yeah. multifaceted and um, dramatic and devoted and. Um, yeah it's bound bound as boundless as it is as we can be really
0: wait so when did like when did you guys switch or change or was it was it was it a new member that came that sort of brought the sort of new energy or, or gave you that freedom to be more expressive or not think of a particular sound but just we we always had
1: you know a lot of a lot of ideas um and certainly a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm Martin Tieli joined us in 1985 and um, he gave us a real kind of focus for our sound because of his voice and his guitar playing and um, so we were able to kind of rally around that a little bit Yeah. and it just gave us a lot of ballast and a lot of it kind of anchored the band I think stylistically yeah. and um, and and as a result we, we, we grew as songwriters I think he does too we just kind of pushed each other all the time and to explore new things um and uh his musicianship as well kind of you know the other three guys in the band are really brilliant instrumentalists i think i'm kind of i'm still a hacker and i've always kind of been a hacker (laughs) and i'm good at other things but um uh but so there was a real kind of quality to the musicianship which i think we discovered you know, around 86, 87, and this is coming out of an era, too, where, you know, there really wasn't a lot of musicianship necessarily in music. Certainly, not to say that music, that music wasn't, wasn't strong, it was, it just didn't rely so much on playing. Yeah. They relied a little bit more on you know, melody and, and, and spirit and energy where, um, you know, we were able to play a little bit more into the music and it became a little bit more musical. And then we went on the road, and then we got really good. We had two and a half months touring Canada in 1987. And then we came back. We came back really strong, having survived that tour, really is what it amounted to. And we grew strong as bandmates and as people. Hmm. And from that, we kind of vaulted into the sound that we found and made our second record, Melville, and then Whale Music was our uh-huh. third record, which kind of helped us push through.
2: Yeah. You, you,
0: your your, your live shows... Um, would you? Would it be fair to say they're almost like a jam? You guys are literally just jam. You guys <clears throat> might have like okay. You hear the songs we're going to play, and let's just go.
1: Yeah, probably yes and no. Okay. Like I think they're. Um, what we're probably a little bit more notorious for is taking a song that you know well yeah. and then kind of turning it inside out a little bit mm-hmm. and yeah. taking you know using that that song as merely kind of you know like uh, as like it's wet clay like we can form something else out of it if we feel like it basically yeah. there's some nights when we play the very kind of committed versions of the actual songs Here's the song as you know on the them album. but if somebody gets an idea a creative, a creative idea within a song we'll follow that person through that creative idea everything is alive as, Every, you're li- as you're alive yeah wow yeah everything is alive in the moment that's the great thing about live music right Yeah. otherwise I just you know sit in my car, listen to my cassettes. Press, yeah. It's like, no, it's like, it's an active entity and that's the great thing about live music. It's but unlike not, any other art form.
0: There's not a lot of bands that sort of do that. Like when you, you know, uh, when you go see, like any band um, that have been playing together for a long time um, or maybe it's a decision that they make where, we're going to play what our audience sort of expected. right? Which and yeah. and I guess with your audience, they're sort of they're expecting something totally different than if they were to go to let's say Pearl Jam.
1: Yeah, I think it depends on sure. Yeah, and I think both ways are valid. I think it just depends sure. on the you know the individual and like what the musician's comfortable with doing. But yeah, people like to come to see what's going to happen. Yeah, because they know something that happens on a Tuesday will be different than what happens on yeah. a Thursday,
0: right? There so was a, a song you guys played that it's uh, I love. It was one of the last songs you played uh, when you played at. Um, where did we see these guys just Danforth? now? Danforth. At, at the Danforth, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, and I love the song. And so I went to look at it. I, said, I want to hear that again. So I'm on YouTube searching for it. Yeah. And it's the video where there's a guy in the snow or the ice or something Record like that? body
2: count.
1: That was the last song we played. Was yeah. it the last song? Yeah, right.
0: Loved that song. But it sounds so different. Yeah. You
1: that
0: know? And I go, oh, I want that live version. Yeah.
1: That live version is, I think our, our album Double Live has a version that's a has little it? bit closer to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure.
2: I, I actually wanted to because I've got a note to go down that path so that song's always haunted me always haunted me and it it almost seems as much or more relevant today with social media and and our awareness and opening up and talking about mental health i just like i don't know what you feel about that i just like it just it it really like again haunted me since i think like 20 years i think
1: songs like you know uh honest songs from like the perspective of a of a young person you know is uh yeah those are valid in whatever era you're listening to Mm -hmm. them in right you know those true stories of what what kids go through you know so yeah i don't know if it's any less or more relevant but i know it's relevant yeah for sure yeah i guess that's yeah Yeah. i
2: just i just after seeing and again it's always been one of my favorite songs of yours and then seeing it the other night or back when we saw you got the damn fourth and just reflecting i'm going man like the pressure kids are going through with social media today. Mm-hmm. Just like, I don't know. Just yeah. To me, it connected.
1: Oh, it's great. I'm really glad.
0: The pressure with everyone. Like, What are your, what are your oh, thoughts, sure. Dave,
1: on social Podcast media? Podcast pressure, man. <laughs> I can tell. I can feel the pressure.
0: <laughs> You're feeling pressure? Or you or feel my well. pressure?
2: Do <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to talk more about their, their last album? Well, I just I was going to talk about sort of the, the process of yeah. what you guys went through. I we'll would come back together and doing this album and... Yeah, why... First, why did you guys come back together?
1: Well, we played together. We did... We reunited um, uh, four years ago to Mm -hmm. play at the Art Gallery of Ontario to play our music inspired by the Group of Seven record. Okay. And that went well enough that we uh, wrote together more. Yeah. And so really kind of our getting back together was a long process of a couple of years. It wasn't... It wasn't straight off. Um, and we did a few festivals in between and stuff and then we got in the studio to make this one. Yeah. So it was easy. It wasn't it wasn't hard wow. at all. Yeah, it was really easy. That's great. Really easy and fun.
0: I love that song Here Come the Wolves. Thank you. Yeah. Great Thanks. title song.
1: Thanks. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was great to get in there and everybody has song. We have four songwriters in the band too, so there's no shortage of material and everybody's continuing to write and play. Yeah. So that was good. It's not like we had to where did I put my guitar? Oh, yeah, it's in a box somewhere. I mean, that happens, right? Sure. For some people, but we'd always been active musically. Individually so, doing, yeah, doing exactly. your own projects. And, and then when you get together after having played it with each other for so long, the shorthand is automatically there. Hmm. And truth be told, probably like just as people, as a mature adult men, yeah, which were probably all a, a little bit easier to take. Right, and we're a little bit yeah. mindful of each other's feelings. I think a little bit more, and probably a bit more open, and mm. shit doesn't bother more, us more. More adults now, I think so. Do you yeah. go
0: home. You guys are going home right after the gigs now, or you guys still stay back?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I love the theater shows because you're done by. 10 o'clock and you in your pajamas by midnight it's fantastic oh i feel
2: i love i love the shows of the dance they're great that's fantastic it's great sh- horseshoe when you guys play at the horseshoe i know man. Love seeing it at the horseshoe but oh, i'm like Since oh getting tired
1: no kidding <laughs> man know. you're getting tired <laughs> jesus yeah i know yeah those days are probably past us so it's nice although who knows uh, those are great shows it's fun to do those residencies yeah, yeah. And just love, you know you know you're gonna you're going to the same place every night to work and you really you wear in the stage and you feel good about about it and stuff yeah. but yeah but those were marathons and yeah. Yeah, tough yeah. to do again
2: yeah
0: were you were you always a like when when did you realize I'm a musician like at a very young age or did you have a lot of influences at home uh huh
1: I don't know I don't know when when that moment actually really arrives yeah I think you always think that you know you're always you know worried about you know being exposed you know and, okay. and you know we're as just a like, musician
0: or as not a, not a good musician what what sort of exposure probably probably are you the of? latter
1: like really? you know yeah i think so um you know
0: even now even to like not these s- days? so much now no
1: yeah. I, w- I would say that's one of the per- prerogatives of being a seasoned musician yeah yeah i don't worry about that anymore really but for a long time really sure you're wondering if you can pull it off and if your next song is going to be any good and, you know, you know whether it's going to last and whether yeah, it's a lot of that. Way deep into the band's career, too.
0: But you guys were, mm-hmm. it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed to me you guys were never worried about the numbers, per se. You no. weren't worried about making hit records. You were just you know, it sounds like a cliche, but you're following your muse, sort of speak. Yeah. We, it's creating it, is, art. it
1: is true to a fault. You know, we never really, it was all about the music we were making together and wanting to, wanting to create, you know, again, what was in our guts and the way we saw the world. And, and, um, we just felt that, you know, the crowd would sort of follow and it did and it didn't, you know, there was some huh. pretty low times there hmm. where we thought we were making good music and fewer and fewer people were coming out and, uh, world is changing and music is changing and taste is changing and then you're like well where does where does this all lead right so that's to say nothing of the emotional strife you know and the physical violence and the emotional violence emotional terrorism that one enacts on on your bandmate and stuff so um there's a lot you have to fight through and deal with and then that's why this is a bit of a nice victory lap because we can kind of look back a little bit And see what we've accomplished and Mm -hmm. see that people still come out to care about the band. And we will we were careful in our record, too, to not make it sound like it was like kind of old guy victory lap. You know, we wanted it to be. We wanted the music to sound. We wanted it to live in 2019 and sound like it was made in 2019. Mm -hmm. And not sound that we were just, you know, a reborn version of ourselves, only not as good. Like we really tried hard to make the art good. Yeah. And so is this a
2: victory lap? This podcast? No, it's a this podcast, is, right? is this your last, last podcast you, you said you're going to start doing podcasts maybe this is your last after this but, uh. that's
1: right um oh i don't know i have used that term too often yeah but, no i just um, I, I no just i know i said it
2: i sort of keyed into that and thought oh huh,
1: yeah i hope not no
2: oh no no yeah. no
1: oh i see what you mean no i don't think so okay. No, i think we'll you No, know, we have other shows coming yeah. up and stuff too yeah, yeah.
0: when did you start Writing. What was your 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 first book?
1: Uh, On a cold the, road was my first book. Okay. Nineteen
0: ninety eight. All right. Yeah. And what was that book about?
1: This book's about traveling across the country, opening for the Tragic Hip. Ah. Nineteen ninety
0: six. Yeah.
2: It's a good one. Some great stories, isn't it? it yeah. yeah.
0: What was that? And you've written so many other 13, books. Thirteen. Yeah. Thirteen books now. Yeah. Um. When did you start exercising that muscle? Because I'm sure it's a different muscle than writing music and writing songs and starting to write. Books now.
1: Well, before I—I've been a writer before I was even before I was a guitar player for sure. Okay. My first, my first, my first work was published in the Toronto Sun when I was eleven years old. Wow. <laughs> I had a poem, really? About Eddie Shack, yeah. So, um, <laughs> but no, I've been I had and I had written for um, like teen publications and. High school newspapers, really before, well, yeah, so that before. Was before
0: you picked up music, yeah. yeah
1: writer writing came well, oh, yeah. writing came. I'm not a ha- I'm not a hacker when it comes to writing. I'm okay. a hacker when it comes to being a guitar player. Fair enough. But yeah, know writing was a bit more natural for me. Yeah. And so yeah, so when you know people were like when I was started, you know when I, I wrote a column for the Toronto Star and when I started publishing books, people were like, oh, where did that come up? Come out of? But in fact, it's it's a road that I've been. It's gone muscle, yeah, 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 it's
0: making it longer. Yeah. Do you remember the poem? Can you recite it? I the can't, Eddie shirt.
1: I can't. <laughs>
0: okay, that's I okay. I probably can, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> Could you try?
1: <laughs> nah, no. no,
0: <laughs>
1: no, it is terrible. But I, I want a T-shirt, Toronto Sun T-shirt, and when I, my wife of twenty, is that eight years? I think See, this, this look, year that would get you in
0: more trouble than reading the Eddie shirt. No, no, I'm oh. trying to anyway. Yeah, uh,
1: twenty-seven years. I don't know. No, twenty-eight. Wow. So we um. When we first started hanging around together, I was like, oh, you know, I got a poem published in the <laughs> Toronto Sun. She kind was impressor. like, I had a poem published in the Toronto Sun. Hers was about the queen, but it was <laughs> fated that we would be together because yeah. we both had poems published goes, in the yeah, Toronto Sun.
2: That's
0: awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have a love of hockey. I do. Um, you continue to play. Your first poem was about Eddie Shack. Yeah. Um, we sat down. I have this bad habit of forgetting people's names. Sean Sean Fitzgerald. Sean Fitzgerald. We had an uh, opportunity to sit down with Sean uh, about his new book. Yeah. Um, about, I would call it, The Death of Hockey. Um, what are your thoughts on, on where, in Canada, where hockey is today?
1: It's funny because there's been two books written in the past actually called The Death of Hockey. One, is, one was written in the early 1970s and the other was written in the mid-1990s, so people have been foretelling the death of hockey for a long time. (laughs) Uh, It never seems to happen, but um, my general thoughts, or...
0: Yeah, well, both. General and specific, I guess. It's a big...
1: Hockey's a multi-plan... It's a universe of different planets. There's the NHL. Yeah. There's women's hockey. There's minor hockey. There's rec hockey. There's... You know, it's there's a lot of different planets of hockey, so it's hard to really sort of interesting. Yeah, I get it's hard to talk. About, you know, the NHL is different from hockey, yeah. right? Yeah. Probably. So um, I, you know, I so, love hockey, to play. So, it's so hockey, so hockey
0: from a, a sort of kids starting to play it or kids playing it, and that sort of yeah, thing, You know, right? Um, I don't know whether you have children or not. I do, but they do? don't play hockey. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether you see hockey from that perspective. From you know. Are 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 more kids playing it these days than, you know, whatever other sports or where do they spend their time, mm-hmm. uh, and then also, I, I guess NHL the NHL is like, it's like a big behemoth, you know, with, yeah. with or without it's a product, yeah, right, with or yeah, without it's a lot. The I mean, it's, it's a lot there. of things. It's it's yeah. a lot
1: of things. Yeah, it's it's culturally significant, but it's you know it's a hamburger. Is too. it
0: anymore? I'm curious about that. Is hockey why for you? Why is hockey culturally relevant?
1: Well, for me, I mean, yeah, I play mondays wednesdays and saturdays and for me you know that's and for my teammates you know that's let's call it three hours where nobody's on a cell phone you know nobody's thinking about work nobody's thinking about life or home you know the valves are opening right we're 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 dialing into a different kind of reality we're freed from our our lives when we're out there skating and playing and and we're together, too. And teams are important in our world, you know, like more than ever before. Groups of people being together, it's essential that we continue to have that. And sport is one way in which sport does group people together. Sure, absolutely. Like there's a lot, of course, that's, that's um, you know, uh, problematic about that culture. But there's also stuff that's really great and important about that culture. So. For me, those times when I'm playing are, are vital to me, and they're good for my brain, <laughs> and they're good for my body, and they're good for my <laughs> spirit, and, and they're good for all of us who get a chance to go out there and play whatever sport we love to play.
2: Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if this is going to be therapy for me, but I'm interested to know why you play hockey and your kids don't. And the reason I ask that is my dad made it to, I think, junior B. Oh, yeah. And I never played hockey. Yeah. I never, like, he just decided... Well, not yeah, no, no. I'd be oh. keen to know your thoughts. Uh,
1: yeah, theory. I th- well... um, I think they, in both, in many, many regards, they've sort of cut their own path. They've Mm -hmm. gone in their own direction. They're not artists. They're not, they don't play music. They don't play sports. They're more, they're science kids, basically, Hmm. right? So, you know, they've kind of, they're carving their own. Like, our our house, for them growing up, was dominated by those other things. And they want to find their own space, you know? My dad was an accountant, then he was an urban planner, and I used to hate having to go tour shopping centers. Right? It's like not another shopping center. And with him too, it'd be like he would take us out, and he would like he would t- drive us on a Sunday to look at like a, a, a vacant lot. Well, we're gonna build on this vacant lot. Wow, Dad! Tell y'all that all about is it. some <laughs> thrilling shit right there. So. Jeez. You know, either we run in the same direction or we run in the opposite direction. Yeah. So.
0: What did your kids yeah. do with you when you took them to, hey, look at my studio. Yeah, the,
1: well, look at the,
0: Get out of here, Dak.
1: <laughs> probably in a way. I mean, yeah. they spend time in arenas, like watching a bunch of old guys skate around. <laughs> so probably it's something to do with it, I think, a little bit.
0: Yeah. Um, and but so, they love
1: books and they love to read and they love literature and they love film and they love art and stuff, too. Just not.
0: There you go. Yeah. That makes you a little bit happy, then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Why the West End Phoenix? Because hmm. you're not busy enough, right? Well... Yeah, you have a band, you're writing yeah. books, you, uh, you used to have a column, or, or multiple columns in like different yeah, yeah, newspapers.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, it's a new thing. Making a newspaper is new. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, as we get like kind of older, I think it's important to kind of challenge yourself and to try to something different in a way it's like it's funny we would be more grantable if we'd positioned it as an art project but in many ways it kind of is an art project it's an experiment in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. to see if um, a, a print a new print community newspaper can exist in 2020 you know it's a bit of a koan too it's like what is the sound of one hand clapping because people look at us and can't believe that we exist and can't believe that we continue three years later and continue to get stronger so but i was really intrigued with having done blogs before and having yeah created websites and having done all that digital stuff it was so fun and um and and freeing in a way to be heading in heading in one direction while everybody else was heading in the other. Hmm. And we, we have, ha- to this day still, we kind of have that lane to ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when you launch podcasts, a perfect example. You know, you launch it now, it's just like, well, how do I find my space within that? With us, the space is all ours. So obviously there are challenges because people kind of look at it and go like, you know, why would you do that when everybody else is doing something else? But um, but no, we've had a lot of support. So, yeah, and it's really fun to kind of spend every day doing one thing. That's not usually been my life. Sure, but it's every day I spend doing this.
2: Wow. Yeah, and, and your, the support. I mean, I can see it within the community. The yeah. support is growing. I was at a, I was at a concert in, in Buffalo, and a woman walked by with a West End That's t-shirt Right. I'd like. That's cool. That's I, it's really. Good. In Phoenix, and she's like, Yeah, like my That's wife. Beautiful. What show is wow. it? Beaches, the beaches cool. down there. Great, uh, great, great,
0: great. Uh, my wife Minaz was in line at the Sounds of the Season at CBC, and there yes. was a guy in front of her, behind her. She told me that had, I think it was a West End Phoenix button or okay. a badge, right? And they were talking, and he was from the states. Okay. And he cool. goes, "Yeah, it's a great journalism. I have it mailed down to me. That's great. Um,
1: it's beautiful when that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are people that really just are. Um, um, I think are uh, taken." With the um, you know, the spirit of what we're trying to do, and um, you know, the connection that we're that we're trying to make with our community it's through literature and through writing and through journalism.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note too. And I, you know, you and I talked about this old a little over a year ago. Like I just had this vision, not vision, but I had this um, preconceived idea that it was about the West End of Toronto. Right. And you said, no, 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 you need to like you need to read it and once I started reading it, it and we subscribed it was like there's so much more to this you know he sure. did the East End he yeah, did the East End episode which yeah. I appreciate we don't need to do the Scarborough episode but at least we did the I East think End think we, episode
0: well the East Ender I, th- I, th- I think wasn't it wasn't about Scarborough so it's not about the East
1: I hear ya I know man we're all territorial that like way like how often
0: does Jelani like you know rag on you that we need to we a need lot some, we need some all rep. the time we need some rep out he there. he floated
1: a oh he said to today he said I'm trying to think. Uh was it cricket? He was talking about something. I think it was either cricket or dominoes. Yeah. He was like, Oh yeah, no, I know I got it all sussed out. I know where they are. And they're like, I'm pretty sure they're West End and then he Googled it and it was like Danforth in Maine. <laughs> it's like But uh
2: But yeah, to the point though, I mean it's so much more than like Yeah so much for more. Sure. Than well, our, our
1: indigenous issue the last one yes. had um yeah, work from all all mm-hmm. across the city and stuff. And I think as we grow, we'll become more of that. Yeah. So it's like the Village Voice, I always use that as an example, probably too much. But you read the Village Voice, you know, it was named because of the East Village. And that's where, it, that's where it was born. But it would write about the issues that happened across the entire city. And I would like to get to a point where even though it's the West End Phoenix, you yeah. know it, to pick it up, you know it's going to be a Toronto paper, yeah. so...
0: My wife wanted to ask you, yep. uh, wanted me to ask you about the, the recent issue. Yes. Um, I haven't read it, but I think Jay Soul is in it. Um, yes. So he's, he's been, like, I think he's been on this podcast a couple, not this one, but another one of mine a couple Great. of times. But she wanted to ask um, why you guys decided to uh, devote this issue to indigenous issues.
1: Um, well, uh, we'd worked with um, an an amazing artist, Alex Jacobs Bloom from Six Nations. And we wanted to find an excuse to work with her a little bit more closely. Um, And uh, um, Oscar Baker, the third was our guest editor. Um, And there were a lot of people that we wanted to, to get into the newspaper, but we're limited in terms of our space. And we thought, well, how can we figure out a way in which we can honor all of these you know interesting indigenous writers and photographers and we thought well let's just let's just devote an entire issue to getting getting them in and Mm -hmm. and, um that's part of it also there's no representation in uh in media in in toronto and uh, very little of it in canada in general when it comes to indigenous voices yeah say nothing of racialized voices you mentioned jelani you know like he's the only racialized photo editor in canada you know really yeah geez and um, an amazing
0: photographer yeah amazing
1: yeah. And, and a great great person and yeah um so so this also because it's because it's a new thing it gives us a chance to make different choices that way sure um and so and so the indigenous issue is just an extent of that i think
2: the um the one thing i wanted to ask about speaking sort of marg- speaking, sort of marginal, not speaking of sort of marginal definitely marginalized communities is i was at the cottage Pretty much out of pocket, like not out of pocket. See, I used it again. I, I don't know what. That um, means. <laughs> so I was like, I really wasn't online a lot. But when I heard about uh, when we learned about the, the the murder of Julie Berman, yes, like, and this isn't for for you guys yep. because you're uh, periodically coming out. But th- this, the mainstream media, like, why did it take so long for us to know about that? And right. like, is the mainstream media just broken right now when it, it comes is. to a lot of these issues?
1: it is I think it's broken not just necessarily in terms of those issues but it's kind of broken in general okay Um, and social media occupies a lot of space too so they're just trying to figure out a way to cope I think in these times yeah Um, but um, and they're nervous and worried and they're flailing and they're worried about you know their audience and how's their audience going to respond and I still think there's a lot of great work being done out there but I would love to get to a point where, when something like that, when a story like that finds us, we're able to write about it eloquently and at length mm-hmm. um, in a way that, that, so we have to, because we're a monthly, you know, in order, f- we, we can't really tell that story, but we can publish Lucas Silvera's um, um, music memoir. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can kind of honor the legacy of trans um, activism yeah. Yeah. and trans art through that, but we can't actually write about that story because yeah, and that's why i was
2: saying it's not like i wasn't i wasn't no but it's, you guys to tell yeah. that story but the, but i would love
1: the, to get be at a point where we could tell that story yeah. but we just don't know how to yeah. do that yet or yeah. if we can do it yet we just mm-hmm. don't have the support yet to do it mm-hmm. but hopefully one day i aspire to that yeah yeah cool be great
0: are you looking to take the western Infin- like is that is this is this a project or is this sort of a long-term vision that you feel um
1: I would love for it to be long term but I it's still in the it's still in its project phase probably. Hmm. It's still an experiment.
0: Yeah, probably. Okay.
1: I'll know a little bit better by the end of this year and I'll know a bit better going into next year really. Yeah. Um I don't know. I don't know. I would love for I would love for it to evolve and grow and get stronger. Sure. And 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 you know, but that's going to take support from a lot of different but more people and more subscribers yeah. and mm-hmm. more patronage and some corporate support and some granting bodies. It's gonna take a. L- it's gonna take a lot. It's gonna take a perfect storm of that. Yeah. But I think it's still achievable, but we're still chasing
2: it. Yeah. and you're doing you like you're doing a lot of the subscriber drives. Yeah, um, obviously. Yeah, which is great, and you seem to be getting good response from that. We are some of the some of the um, fundraising events that you're doing. The fundraising events
1: are great fun. And they and people are... Yeah, we try to do interesting things. Yeah. Um, you know, we did our Margaret Atwood, Claudia Day mm-hmm. event. And we're having our winter fundraiser at Strombo's house. Yeah. He gives us his, his joint once a month, uh, once a year. And we do a concert there. And that's February 13th. And the Pet Sounds band is going to perform uh, Pet Sounds, an instrumental rendition of Pet Sounds for... In its entirety. So, and we have a big fundraiser um, at the end of May at uh-huh. the Junction Craft Brewery, which what's this crazy idea is coming together. So we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll launch that in, in March, uh, March and April. It's fun to put on show. Like it's one, that's one thing I can kind of bring to the paper in a way. I kind of know how to put on a show. Yeah, and um, that that will support what we do. I think. Yeah, it's cool.
0: You've always done things your own way. You know the the sound of Radio Statics is is uh, eclectic. You know, you, there, there's no other band that sounds sort of similar uh, in my in my in my opinion. Um, you know, you, you you write whatever you you want to write. Um, crazy enough to start a local newspaper. Right. You know, when everyone says no. Um, although I'll, I'll tell you this: I, this just came to mind. I was at a at a Deloitte session this morning. Yes. And they were looking at e-books yep. and newspapers and everything, and books, and you know what are what are what are people doing? And they said eighteen to thirty-four year olds yep. would rather hold a book yep. and read a book than uh, an audio book or an e-book. So there there's something about having something in your hands.
1: Well, like a lot of our subscribers are young enough that they've never had a subscription to a newspaper before. Yeah. They've never—it's like final, right? So, a whole generation grew up looking at—I'm doing a thing with my fingers that you can't see <laughs> on your podcast, but you know, a little postage stamp rendition of an of album art, right? Sure. Yeah. And all of a sudden, when albums came back, they were like, oh, "Holy shit! I can hold this thing. This it's big. big, ma- big yeah. I can hold it." And the same is part of our appeal mm-hmm. is is to, to a generation who've never had a chance to. I mean, really, like even hear hear what a newspaper sounds like when you turn the pages, or what it feels like, and how it is to hold. So that's so we appeal on that level yeah. to a lot of people. I, I, remember, I
2: remember making my two twenty-something-year-old sons sit down, um, and I pulled out a physical presence—the level forty-two, double yeah. live. And I made them sit down and listen to it, and they were just holding this double live yeah. album in their hands, like the cover I cool. going through yeah. the art and they were just they were just blown away not only by the sound because this is when I brought my my old dual turntable back yeah. out of and dusted the dust off yeah. of it. They were blown away by the sound, but then they were blown away just the tactile of holding this thing and reading as they 're listening and I think
1: like you know there 's such a race to to to, to um you know, absorb the new and to like follow something, the n- new technology. But the truth of the matter is like, you can have, ev- you can have everything. Yeah. You know, you can like in my home, you know, I have a turntable, I've got a Bluetooth speaker, I've got my iPhone, I've got a jukebox, I've got all of this different apparatus and they're all awesome in their own way. Like it doesn't just have to be one thing. It's the same thing with books too. Like you can read a brilliant, you know, brilliant Twitter essay and that's valid literature. You can read a 400 page page, book about you know the troubles in northern ireland which i'm doing right now say nothing is a great book um you know you can do that you can read a newspaper you can be on your phone like it's okay it's great we have this great opportunity but you don't have to do one at the expense of the other i don't think huh. we all make yeah, choices but sure. i think we're able to yeah get our you know be you know the stuff that stimulates us comes in so many more different forms than ever before and i think that's something we're celebrating as yeah, opposed to something
2: that's, that's, that's that, a great point yeah that's fantastic
0: when did you realize or maybe it was given to you, maybe it was a thought you had or an aha moment where you said to yourself or maybe someone said it to you that you could literally do whatever you want to do. You can make – you didn't have to write pop songs. You, you didn't have to, you know, do a podcast rather than a newspaper.
1: Those are, like, again, like, those are, those are people that inspired me, you know, musicians mm. that I really liked and, and writers that I really liked and got to know – it wasn't easy mm-hmm. to see that the the reason they were successful and the reason I liked them is because they had done what they wanted to do, yeah. As opposed to worrying about what others thought they should do, mm. right? Fair enough. I mean, you know, compromise is a little bit of part of it, I think, in a way. But um, and there are people that go in in a much more radical direction than that, than what I'm saying, and you know, the the, the whole the other extreme of individual expression, but. You know, I was able to listen to a lot of great musicians and read a lot of great writers and have a lot of great friends, frankly, who were encouraging. That's what friends should do. They should encourage yeah. you yep. to be yourself.
0: Awesome. What are you listening to these days? Musically? Yeah.
1: I could probably tell you a bit more about what I'm reading. Sure. Um, but... Uh, uh, let me see. Um... We have, um, in the new, in the, in, the, in the February issue of the West End Phoenix, we have, it's our music issue. So um, we have a flex, flexi disc that is going uh, to be included with the, the paper, and we have a, a brand new song by US Girls from, from their new record, which I've really been loving a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Schaaf has a new record out called um, Neon Skyline, which is beautiful. Um, that's not quite out yet, but it's going to come out soon. Um, and I'm reading all these Irish writers, and Kevin Barry is in a Kevin Barry is written is writing something about the horseshoe for us. I don't know if you know Kevin, but he wrote a book called Dark Lies the Isle. He's from Sligo in Ireland, and he also wrote a book called the, A Night Boat to Tangiers, which was nominated for the Booker and was on the New York Times uh, best books of the year list. He, um, I got to know him through Roddy Doyle, who wrote The Commitments, who's a friend of mine. Anyways, Kevin's writing about the Horseshoe Forest. We're so thrilled, and also Miriam Taves, who's a brilliant novelist. She is writing about the songs that have affected her life from oh. from the time she was a young child to becoming a grandmother only only last year. So we have this great. Strong, amazing literary content coming up in, in, a, in a paper. So I've been reading a lot of those writers to just awesome. kind of reacquaint myself yeah. with them, but they're all brilliant. And so awesome. I encourage them to people to read them and to listen to those musicians that I mentioned.
0: Awesome. Dave, listen, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for coming out.
1: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Pleasure. How do you know Jelani?
0: Basketball. Oh, yeah? Yeah, not that I play very well. Right. But Sorry. I think... He used to work in an agency, I'm thinking. Okay, yeah, A sure. number of years ago. Yeah, sure. And so we, we all sort of, okay. people in the agency sort of got together, played basketball. Got it. So I knew him from there, and then um, I didn't know he was a Scarborough guy, and then we bumped into each other at a Scarborough festival, and he was taking photos and stuff like that. Cool. Scarborough people hang out at Scarborough festivals? Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Scar- Scarborough's the place. I'm telling I'm you. I'm not saying it's Scarborough's not. Scarborough's awesome. Dave, come, come Scarborough. will take
1: you, you out Did you go to his eat. show at the Scarborough t- campus? I, I heard about it Scarborough afterwards. Scarborough campus. Yeah, the baseball one yeah. he did, right? Yeah. I, really I,
0: I heard about it after the fact but um, yeah he's a he, he loves his baseball yeah he sure does you've written a book about baseball I did yeah yeah, yeah. why not some more baseballissimo write another one What more baseball books. There's too many, too much hockey. It's in this hard country. to get them published. <laughs> baseball or yeah. just books in general. Well, that's
1: true. <laughs> but there's not a great, huge appetite for baseball books in this in Canada, unfortunately. Well, that's what the publishers say. But anyway, yeah, awesome. Well, again, thank uh, you again. Yeah, pleasure. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, cool. Appreciate My it. pleasure.